Good morning, 5 a.m. friends. Today is Wednesday, April 27, 2022, and I'm Lisa Chinati calling in from Boston, Massachusetts. Past week, I've been thinking a lot about communication styles. We know that when we are communicating with people, that there are percentages assigned to the impact that each category, if you will, has. Depending upon which study you look at, you will see slightly different numbers, but the general thought is that 55% of communication is attributed to your body language, 38% to your tonality, and only 7% of the impact is from the actual words that you use. I tend to think of myself as an incredibly direct in my communication, generally say exactly what I am thinking or feeling without much of a filter. It's both a strength and a weakness for me. Not everyone appreciates my level of directness. I've always assumed that when someone misunderstood me that there was a disconnect between what I was saying and either my tonality, which can be a smidge flat, or my body language, which can be a bit too serious. If I go back 12 months, there was a conversation where there was a huge disconnect between what I believe I said and what the other person perceived me as saying. I went into that difficult conversation knowing what was going on and thus hypervigilant to my words, my tonality, and my body language. I haven't stopped thinking about this particular conversation for the past 12 months. If this conversation had happened a year or two before it did, I would have questioned whether I said something differently or if my body language implied something different. But I was so aware of all of these things that I know it wasn't that. So it got me to thinking about how misunderstandings actually happen. As salespeople, business owners, managers, and leaders, how can we set ourselves up to minimize communication errors? Consider how words can actually mean the same exact thing but be perceived as almost the exact opposite. Why is it worse when someone causes work for us rather than produces work for us? Why does each word prompt a different interpretation of work with caused work seeming burdensome and produced work seeming like a positive? The two words, cause and produce, seem synonymous, but they could nudge an individual to make different inferences because of a phenomenon known as semantic prosody. David Hauser noted, some words have a meaning to them that we don't often think about but yet still affects us which has applications to persuasion, social influence, and bias in our judgments and decisions. For example, most people do not associate cause with negativity, but because it is often followed by negative words in everyday language, such as death, problems, pain, cancer, harm, or disease, cause conveys negativity. Some words tend to occur in a certain context, and that context leads into the word's meanings. Those same words can frame our judgment. To prove this, one experiment randomly assigned 400 people to read either the produce or the cause version of a sentence. Surprisingly, ingestion of the substance produces or causes endocrination of abdominal lipid tissue. Those participants were then asked to identify whether endocrination of abdominal lipid tissue was a good thing or a bad thing. Endocrination is a fictional medical outcome. It isn't a real thing with any real meaning. But most respondents, 73% actually, thought that it was bad when it was caused, compared to only 48% who had a similar view when it was produced. Another experiment asked participants to read a sentence about a senator who initiated legislation that either produced or caused additional work for middle-class families. Participants rated how they thought the families felt about the legislation and estimated the likelihood the senator would be elected. 
Participants believed the families liked the legislation far less when it caused additional work. They also thought the senator was less likely to be reelected when he caused rather than produced additional work. Other experiments have showed similar framing effects with other words. Society often uses words automatically, especially those that seem like a good fit. When people hear a word, they infer what we're trying to convey, but the person speaking may not be intending any additional meaning. Another example of how words can create misunderstandings. Last week, my husband and I were in the kitchen while I was cooking dinner. Chicken stir fry, not that it matters. I was slicing the chicken breast on the counter next to my husband. There was a bunch of carrots, and he asked if he could do something to help. My response, since you were standing there, you could peel the chicken. I noticed my mistake, but when he heard peel, he had already started reaching for the carrot and did not even notice that I had said chicken instead of carrot. Language scientists are often interested in these kinds of mistakes and whether or not people notice them. The mistake I made was a semantic error. Semantics refers to the meaning of the language. Consider the famous sentence written by the linguist Noam Chomsky. Colorless green ideas sleep furiously. You would all agree that the words are in the right place in the sentence, and yet the sentence does not make any sense because some of the words are combined in a way that does not quite work. For example, it is not possible for something to be both green and colorless. Noam came up with this sentence to make exactly this point. Sometimes words can be in the right place in a sentence, but the sentence still does not make sense or have the right meaning because the words are combined in the wrong way. So when thinking back to that conversation 12 months ago, did I potentially use words with a negative connotation, which caused the other party to perceive that what I was saying was different from what I was intending? Was it possible that I thought I said one thing when in reality I said something different? I'll never really know, but it's food for thought. As I wrap up today, I want to leave you all with one little scenario. Imagine this. An airplane has just crashed on the border of Spain and France. The plane debris is scattered throughout both countries. Most of the wreckage is in Spain. Importantly, none of the passengers are from either Spain or France. Where should the authorities bury the survivors? What do you think? Where should they be buried? If you have selected a burial location, you've actually made a mistake. Let me restate the scenario. An airplane has just crashed on the border of Spain and France. The plane debris is scattered throughout both countries. More of the wreckage is in Spain than France. Importantly, none of the passengers are from either Spain or France. Where should the authorities bury the survivors? Do you hear the problem? The question asks you where to bury the survivors. However, survivors are alive, so you shouldn't bury them. Don't worry if you got tricked during good company. Language scientists have given the same scenario to lots of volunteers in many experiments. They have found that most of the time, volunteers do not notice that you should not bury survivors. Why do people not notice the mistake in the question? What happens if we change the scenario a bit? What if the scenario was about a bike accident rather than a plane crash? Bicycle crashes just occurred on the border of Spain and France. Bicycle debris scattered throughout both countries on the border of Spain and France. None of the riders are from either Spain or France. Where should authorities bury the survivors? Do you think you would have been tricked if you had listened to the story about the bike crash instead of a plane crash? If you said no, you are right. In fact, when scientists asked volunteers this version of the story, almost no one was tricked. People notice that survivors should not be buried when the story is about a bike crash because the main difference is how the word survivor fits into the scenario. When a plane crashes, it is usually an extremely devastating event, so people aren't likely to talk about whether or not there are survivors. 
However, we don't think that when there was a bicycle crash. So as I wrap up, I want to leave you with the fascinating fact about how, just how impactful that 7% of language can actually be. Have a great Wednesday.